I was very drawn to Amelia and her cousins dancing over there. And I thought of that. You know, Jesus said, suffer little children who for such is the kingdom of heaven. And um, having spent many years in a charismatic church where there was lots of, in my view, crazy ladies who danced like that the whole way through worship, I'm now at the stage in my life where I'm thinking, no, they were wise. Their craziness was wise. And um, so when you see me at that, you know my work is done. <laughs> uh, two things I just wanted to mention pastorally before we start. We didn't get the chance to go into lots of things on the community conversation night. And I just wanted to highlight two things that we're, we're planning for. Um, first of all, we used to do a meals ministry. We had a freezer full of food and we supplied meals to people who were struggling. And for a variety of reasons, um, that has gone by the wayside. So that has been kick-started so that if someone is in need, we can provide them with meals. So the lovely Carol Quigley, who's not in the room today, is going to lead that up and, and be responsible for that. So that's one thing. Um, and the other thing is that in September, uh, we always run pre-marriage courses. And we're maybe going to change it a little bit in that it's for anyone who's in a long-term relationship who is considering marriage or who has been married for a while. My view is always that a marriage course is best when you've actually, the rubber hits the road, but maybe that was just Steve and I. Um, <laughs> so we're going to run that in September. You will be served a meal, you'll sit with your other half, and you will only speak to them. Uh, there'll be some presentations and, and conversation, and, uh, and then you've time to talk. So it should be a really lovely evening for couples, uh, and I hope that um, you'll put that in your diary, and we hope to run it every September. And if you're hearing about this and thinking, I would love to serve the community by doing this, by helping, by serving, by inputting, by contributing, then please speak to me, because I want, us, I want to gather a little team who will do this and, and take it forward. So the marriage course will run this year in September, and I hope every September. Um, and we're also looking at some other courses, emotionally healthy, spirituality, and those sorts of things. So all of those are in hand. If anything of that piques your interest and you'd like to serve, please come talk to me. Um, we can certainly um, use your input because we want to do this together as a community. Okay, that is all I have to say on that. Um, so we're going we're gonna to go back to this morning, the steps of faith from the known to the unknown. Um, Rob Bell has written a good book, well, in my opinion, quite a good book on the Bible, and he says that if the story of God as told in the Bible was a movie, it would start with humans in a garden in the trees because that was God's design. We were meant to care for one another. We were meant to live in good relationship with one another, and we were meant to care for the natural world. So that would be the first image in the movie. And if we went right through the story of God as told in the Bible, the last image in that movie would be from Revelation. The healing of the nations, the leaves and the trees are for the healing of the nations. And again, it would be humans in a garden with trees. And his point is we were meant to live in the trees. We were supposed to live in good relationship with one another and also in good relationship with our environment. And those are very challenging ideas of how we actually take that forward, but very key to the call of bringing heaven to earth 
that we are to be in good relationship with nature and with one another. And the story that I want to speak to this morning is Abraham and Sarah. And the call to Abraham and Sarah was to establish the world as it was meant to be, Eden as it was meant to be. Because when humans took over, and you know the story of Eve and the, the serpent and all of that, God's idea for the world was lost. And what God was doing through Abraham and Sarah was starting the lineage to go right to Jesus to restore the original plan. He was, the idea was to create a community that would be exactly as he had planned it. And the themes of the story of Abraham are about promise and about faith. So there was promises and then there was an exercise of faith. And I hope that this morning we can dig into that a little bit. And um, hopefully my second slide is there. Yeah. The story, of story, uh, the story of Abraham and Sarah goes from Genesis 12 to chapter 25. So, you know, we could be here until Christmas discussing this story. So we're going to have a whistle-stop tour. That's all we're going to do. But what we're going to do is think about what are the challenges in this story for us as a people of faith who are on a journey with the Lord. And for us as a community, as we step into what we believe the God is calling us to, how do we exercise faith? How do we live well in this new era that we have entered? I love the work of Esther Duval, and I've quoted it here behind us. She has, done a, she has written a beautiful book on the way of St. Benedict, and there's a quote from it behind. But to put that quote in context, she talks about all the vows that Benedictine people take when they're following Jesus on the journey. She talks about the vow of stability, where we recognize the faithfulness and the dependability of God. And then she talks about the vow of conversatio, which is recognizing God's unpredictability and his way of operating can be unpredictable and it confronts and challenges all our beliefs about safety and what we need. And so what she's saying is that we, if we are the followers of Jesus, the followers of the way, we have to commit to feeling that unpredictable things will happen, that our desire for control and safety has to leave. And we've talked about that before, but I think that's a huge challenge for us. And I love that quote, to realize that the whole of one's life must be open to the possibility of change, asks not for a static keeping of the rules, because that's easy actually, but for an open and a free response to the challenges with which God will face us. And that, she talks about it's a journey of growth and of change, and she talks about how a life as a true follower of Jesus is one small death after the other, after the other, after the other. We are dead to ourselves, that gospel paradox that losing our lives, we will actually find it. And that, and that is the challenge, but that, that goes deep against all of our human desire to control and feel safe, which is what most of us struggle with, I would suggest. So I want to just read these the verses in Hebrews that we have been basing um, this series on. They should be up behind me. Hebrews 11, verse 8 to 12. 
By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. And by faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. So there in Hebrews, Graham, uh, Graham? Senior moment, post-COVID brain, but there could be many more. Um, there's no Graham in the Bible. <laughs> People in work used to say, if, you, if you've named someone wrong, that's a new man for you, which I found utterly disturbing because <laughs> one is enough. Um, <laughs> but um, anyway, we'll move on from Graham. Abraham. Abraham. Abraham and Sarah, heroes of the faith, and I would suggest a beautifully dysfunctional family. A beautifully dysfunctional family. And I find that so incredibly encouraging as a beautifully dysfunctional human being. And any of you who think you're not, let's talk. Because, I, I, and you know, I want to draw, I want to give us literally a whistle-stop tour of the 13 chapters, whether, because I want to draw out the level of how many times they made a mess of things. And yet, in Hebrews, they're in the Hall of Fame. And that should inspire us. That should humbly encourage us. So I think to understand the Abraham and Sarah's story, you need to go actually back to Genesis 11, which is the story of his father, Terah. So what happened in that day, the cultural belief was that your life was just on a, a roll, that one generation's experience kind of got repeated and repeated and repeated. There was really nothing new under the sun. You stayed in the place you were born, you lived there all your life, and nothing much changed. And lo and behold, here we have Terah, who decides to head to leave where they were and to head to Canaan which was very brave. He got stuck for some reason. He went to Canaan, but he got stuck in Haran, and he died there. Maybe that's why they never got the rest of the story. But the point I want to make about that is that the generation before Abraham and Sarah had stepped out and did something utterly countercultural, utterly mad in that culture, and that God used that and moved them along and sometimes in life, we want to wait for the Pacific call of God, that the, the thing that only I'm supposed to do. And actually, I would suggest that the Lord works with what is in our hand and what our gifts are and what our passions are. So that this family were already on the move, and then Abraham gets called. The faith in God for the unknown was an utterly scandalous idea. So in chapter 12, they head, they're heading towards Canaan, from Ur, or from Haran, where they'd settled with the father. They were a wealthy family, they were a privileged family. 
they hit, there was a big famine, and so they went to Egypt. Sarah was very beautiful, and apparently uh, Abraham got a little bit worried that the king or Pharaoh was going to want her as his wife. So he said, I don't want to be killed in order that she gets you, so let's pretend we're brother and sister. Deception, utter deception. He, he acted utterly out of self-protection. If we go to chapter 14, there was a war amongst the kings. His nephew Lot had been taken. He did a whole rescue. He got uh, Lot to safety. He got lots and lots of spoils of the war, and he gave a tithe to Melchizedek, who was the king. And then he returned all his winnings to the king of the land. He honored the person whose land he was on. Chapter 15, the promise that God had given them about a child then became a covenant, and that was a very different thing in their culture, where it was like illegally binding something from your solicitor. It was going to happen. So it had gone from a promise to a covenant. But Sarah, instead of accepting that God had covenanted to do what he said, she decided to help God. And so she got Hagar, and they had Ishmael. And sometimes we can be hard on Sarah for that and think, oh my goodness, why didn't you wait and trust? But how often, if we really look at our hearts, how often do we create Ishmael's? We know the promises of God, maybe for our lives or for our families or for our communities. And instead of waiting, we try and create something. And I would encourage you this week to think about that. Have I or do I create Ishmael's when I don't just wait? And how do I wait? And how do I wait well? So yes, Sarah did that. Then as, as happens with women, the two women didn't get on. Um, Sarah and Hagar. And um, I, I, that's a very sexist comment I've just made. <laughs> I can say it as a woman, but sometimes women don't get on. Come on. Um, and so she goes, she is the one who came up with the Hagar idea, and she goes to Abraham and goes, this is all your fault. This is all your fault. It was her idea. So she takes the mess that she has created and blames someone else. Beautiful dysfunction. We all do it all the time, I would imagine. 12 years, 13 years pass. Hagar, in chapter 16, they send her away, and the angel visits her and tells her to go back. And that is the first time that the Lord is named, you are the God who sees me. The woman who was utterly rejected, who had been used to have a baby for another man who wasn't her husband, which was culturally appropriate, but still a difficult place to be. There was the first time that the Lord was spoken of as you are the God who sees me. And... I find that very beautiful that in her mess and her pain, the Lord spoke to her and said, I see you, I get you. How beautiful is that? And I wonder, are there people who have to hear that today that actually the Lord sees you? And she named Ishmael, God hears. Another 13 years pass, Abram's name changed from meaning exalted father to meaning father of many. Chapter 18, we talked about it when I was talking about the parables a few weeks ago. The angels came and reminded them of the promise and said she's going to have a baby, and Sarah laughs. And then what Sarah does, which lots of us do, is when we laugh or 
when we do something that maybe isn't the healthiest thing to do, we pretend we didn't. No, I didn't laugh. I didn't laugh. Now, maybe that's what she did with Abraham. When Abraham accused her of something, said, you did that. She was going, no, I didn't. And then he moved on. And what we sometimes do in our relationships with each other is we take our ways of understanding one another and we transpose those onto God. And so we expect God to behave the way us messed up humans do. But God doesn't let her off with it. No, you did laugh. And more than that, you'll call the child Isaac, which means he laughs. That's God's sense of humor in my view. So... Chapter 18, again, beautiful examples of dysfunctional human relationships. Chapter 20, they moved again. They went to the area where Abimelech was king. And what does Abraham do? He hasn't learned that God is faithful yet. And so he does, he says, let's just pretend we're siblings. Let's pretend we're siblings. So they do that all over again. And how often in life do we keep repeating the same mistakes? Do we keep having to learn the same lessons all over again? There's Abraham. Abimelech hears from the Lord and frees her, and not only frees her before they had intercourse, pays and says, I'm so embarrassed, I had no idea. Here's a gift. Abimelech looks like a hero in my view there. Genesis 21, Isaac laughs. He's called, he's laughs. And someone, one of the commentators I read said that if you think of the very logistics of trying for a baby and having a baby, there's a year between when she was sitting at the tent laughing at the ridiculousness of having a baby and having her child. And this commentator was saying, how often, how often, at the very point where we're thinking, this is ridiculous, this will never happen, this promise that I have held is not true, is God actually at work? So at the very point where she's laughing in the tent, perhaps her body is changing and making it possible for her to then become pregnant several months later and have her baby. Ishmael and Isaac then grow up a bit. Isaac's a toddler. That's all told about in Genesis 21. And he becomes, him and Ishmael don't get on. Family conflict. No, no shockers there. What does Sarah do? Send them away. They don't work it out. They don't stay together. It's send them away. But God has his way. Hagar and Ishmael head away. And Abraham is interesting in this point where he, he's scared. There's a theme in Abraham's life, I would suggest, that he's scared of being a victim. So he's scared of being a victim with Pharaoh, with Abimelech, with his wife, Sarah. And what does he do? Which is what many of us do. When we're scared of becoming a victim, we end up making others victims. We end, up being, we end up behaving in ways that make others suffer because we think that'll keep ourselves safe. And that is not healthy relationships or actually walking in faith. Genesis 22, then they talk about the big question. So the Hebrew word for test for faith is, can also be translated as prove. And in this chapter... Abraham proved his faith because he went on a three-day trek with possibly a 30-year-old Isaac and he was prepared to kill him. And so he proved his faith. Sarah apparently died not long after this episode and according to the, the Bible, Abraham married and had six more children. 
He eventually died at the age of 175. Wow. And Isaac and Ishmael buried him beside Sarah, which would suggest that Ishmael and Abraham continued to be in relationship even though they'd been sent away. And if you track forward to the book of Ruth, the last few verses in Ruth remind us that Lot, the nephew who was sent away way back after the war, they were restored in their relationship. So the relationships all came good, but it took quite a number of generations. And there's a lesson in that, I think. So why I want to draw out, and, and I would really encourage you to read those 13 chapters because there's so much gold in the story and we can't go there today. But <clears throat> what I want to remind us of is that there was lying, deception, manipulation, broken family relationships, conflict. There was a right sorry mess. And yet they're heroes of the faith. And yet they're heroes of the faith. And they have modeled to us a that metaphor for faith, which is a journey. Theirs was a physical journey. But in all of its mess and horror and dysfunction, God did something beautiful and created the plan that he had set out to do in Genesis 1 to bring restoration to the world. I love this quote from Susan Cain. It will be behind me. We live in a culture that only wants to talk about what is going well. Anything that is not going well is positioned as a detour from the main road. The truth is that pain, I would say fear, dysfunction, mess, it's not a detour from the main road. It is part of the road we walk as human beings. And the challenge for us is to keep on the journey, keep going step ahead, remaining humble and seeking the Lord and doing it in community. I think that is the key. So Brueggemann writes a lot on Genesis and he, he has this, it'll be behind me. He talks about the Abrahamic call that we are called to, that Abraham always blessed the outsider and that the Abrahamic minority lives always as a threat against the main world, the world that has embraced barrenness and called it vitality. And I want to leave with you this, this quote. To stay in safety, according to Brueggemann, is to remain barren, but to live in risk is to have hope and to believe in a better story, a story where the Lord is redeeming all. So the call of God to Abraham is also to us, the call to utter abandonment, renunciation of control, relinquishing control, and saying, have your way amongst us. That is where I want you to go into your groups and talk. So, these are the discussion group questions I did yesterday. Let me just think if I still agree with them. The fourth one I would maybe put out was, I was going to say, I'm going to, uh, how do we as a community welcome the stranger? How do we as a community show that we are Abrahamic and we welcome the minority? Starter for 10, come to those meals. Amen. What an amazing opportunity. They should be struggling to feed us because we're all there. 
because that, so I'm gonna give you a starter for 10 as my extra bonus question. But if you wanna try these questions, and as I say every week, if they don't work and you just wanna talk about another thing to do with the story, uh, please do.